welcome to the Long Distance Work Life Podcast. My name is Wayne Jermel. Marissa is not with us today. This is one of our guest episodes, and I am really excited. Those of you who are familiar with the show know that we try to make sense of the whole virtual hybrid work thing, and nothing is more important to that than communication. And we are talking to a very smart guy. Roger Corville has been in the world of remote communication, virtual presentations, as long or longer than I have, which is a really long time. He's with virtual venues. He is a writer and a teacher and all of that stuff. And Roger, good to have you with us, man. Oh, so glad to be with you again, Wayne. Thank you. Um, what I thought we would do is it's people look at things like Teams and WebEx and whatever, Zoom, whatever else, and they think of them as meeting tools. And, but I want to talk about presentations, you know, webinars, training teaching things, uh, what we used to think of as presentation skills, and why so many of us frankly stink when we do it in a virtual environment. So let's start there, right? We thought we knew how to talk, and then we had this to work with. You know, well, like you, I go way back, September 1999, very first virtual event I ever worked on, and the presenter shows up by dialing in on a cell phone while he was standing in line at an airport. <laughs> Had no idea what was going on. And, you know, I became fascinated, actually, like you, since I know a little piece of your story, I became fascinated with how the medium affects how we connect with people right? And sometimes the base level is, oh, how does Zoom work? And I, or WebEx or Adobe Connect or pick your, and I want to learn how to use a piece of software. But the point isn't connecting to, it's connecting through. And if I can be theoretical for 92 seconds, transmission theory or medium theory of communication began to study decades ago in an academic sense, the the nature of how a medium affects the sending and receiving of signal, right? And illustrated, we understand that you can tell a story in a book, you can tell a story in a movie, and the discipline of telling even the same story to the same audience is very different. It's a little less obvious when we use a tool like, you know, Teams or WebEx or Zoom, because what we do is we're used to being talking on the telephone. And then when we make a presentation, what do we do? We put a PowerPoint. But if we think about the things that are the best part of human connectedness in an in-person world, and then we move it on and we ask anybody, hey, what's the best part of connecting in person? Nobody would say somebody talking over PowerPoint. <laughs> and so I think one of the key problems that we have is that we also see webinars done badly every day. And so we have an expectation of what a webinar or virtual event is. And then, of course, there's the personal attitude. Do I realize that I suck? Because you can't help those who don't realize they need help. I love that you said that because it has always frustrated the heck out of me that people who in a, in a room, in an audience environment, are engaging and charming and they interact with the audience and they're kind of fearless and then they get online and they become presenters 
and all the things, right? right? All the things that we know about communicating go out the window, and right. we do things that we know are. But if you said to somebody, "I'm going to talk to you for 45 minutes. I don't want you to talk to me. I want you to sit there and hold your questions till the end," they would walk, walk out. out of the room. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, one of the things that, and I don't even know why, I, other than than it it seems like it's the same thing. I've got PowerPoint, I'm talking to people. And yet, if we asked people how to be successful with when technology is involved in other contexts, nobody would say, teach me the technology and that's all I need to know, right? If we were teaching telephone customer service skills, yeah, we might need to know how to mute a call and forward a call, but nobody does training on the telephone and thinks that they've just been trained as a customer service agent. Right? And similarly, we wouldn't teach presentation skills and show somebody how a projector works and then think our job was done. And yet, at least to me, one of the things that I did, you know, <laughs> that was focus on skills and over and over people would call and go, hey, we need some, you know, virtual presentation skills training. And I would say, great, tell me what you want to know. Well, we use WebEx <laughs> or whatever their answer was. And I'm just, and I just got used to, Using the old sales adage, um, sell them what they want, but give them what they need. <laughs> so to me, it's 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 just upside down. In fact, if we're going to turn this into a teachable moment and turn it into a tip, it would be like saying someone wants to learn to be a better writer, and you're going to do it specific to the medium of Microsoft Word. At some point, you might say here's how to underline or bold some text because that's part of you expressing yourself as a writer. We wouldn't only teach you that, but we would teach the tool and the tactic after the principle of going, when might I want to italicize something if I was thinking about being a better writer and then using the tool to, to execute that in a particular way. Yeah, focusing on the technology is is counterproductive and yet that's where most people go right uh, so he, here's my question if you were talking to somebody and you had one thing like for the love of all that is holy learn this right? well i know you know where i'm going and uh, i appreciate the question in part because i've answered that question on on more podcasts than I've been on every time I released a book or something that I can count. And I say, I lean in, pause for effect, open your at a glance tools. To which someone typically goes, huh? What are my at a glance tools? And I say, okay, here's, here's the slightly different, lengthier explanation. The number one complaint people move online and present is I can't see the audience that I'm connecting with, right? And I think then the default is then talking too much, talking over PowerPoint, and as you already pointed out, committing the unpardonable sin of ignoring people with their hands up. But when we move online, we're minus some of the feedback mechanisms that we might be used to from standing in front of rooms, meaning I see people are snoozing. I see people, I see that Wayne has his hand up. I see somebody else, you know, glancing at their watch, whatever that might be. And I use those visual cues to then do what I do. 
Well, how do we do that online? Various tools have all kinds of platforms, Zoom, WebEx, GoTo, etc., have all kinds of tools that are proxies that I think of like the dashboard of your car. Right. The default is, oh, I want to see everybody on video, but that only works until you get 10 videos. And by the time, you know, most of them cut off after 25. And if you're presenting to any group of people, you're not going to look at 25 different cameras anyway. So you're back to going, okay, what is the way that I make eye contact, virtual eye contact with my audience? And that is to learn to use the instruments on your dashboard, like looking at the dash of your car. You don't stare at the speedometer. You glance at the speedometer and get meaningful feedback because if you stare at it too long, you get distracted and bad things happen. Open your at a glance tools to me is the single easiest and most interactive way that you can do that. Forget the hands up, forget the polls, forget the uh, audience built-in attention meters. Open the chat box. And when Wayne types something in, learn to glance at it and go, oh, Wayne makes a good comment. And in fact, what you figure out is that if you want, it doesn't even have to be a question. Like Wayne asked a question, how much should I do on Tuesdays? Great, I'm going to answer Wayne's question. How much should I do? No, you, I'm bopping along and Wayne says, oh, you should also do that on Tuesdays. And I'm like, oh, perfect. Wayne says you should also do that on Tuesdays. And now I just brought Wayne into the into the conversation and assuming it's not in a really uh, two-way medium like Zoom meeting and you maybe you're more in a one-way broadcast kind of medium, you still gave Wayne a voice. People realize that you're connecting with real people in real time and it just transforms the experience on the other side because the downside is that if you are nothing more than a glorified YouTube video, then why should I show up live? And, you know, as I've tried to explain to people, hands up everybody who's never fallen in, asleep in front of the television. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's a great point. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, I love what you say, that notion of getting that feedback, because that's what freaks us out, right, is we're speaking into the void and then we get in our own head because we're not getting the smiles and the nods and they're laughing at our silly jokes. But if I see somebody put up a smiley face laughing emoji, I know that they're there. I'm getting feedback. Right, right. And, you know, you can, I mean, and that's, you asked the one tip to where you start. Let me encourage someone listening to think that we can get really deep and advanced. Let me give you one example. Frequently, if not most frequently, when you're presenting online, you're in a different audio environment, meaning you hear yourself differently, whether you've got a headset on or you're listening through your computer speakers, even right where I'm right at right now, like in a, in a guest room, because I'm on the road and not in front of my regular microphone, it sounds different in terms of how I have my own biofeedback in my own head. It sounds different than my usual studio, but any of those sounds different than when you're standing on stage or in a room that's big enough to seat 50 or 100 people. Now, you might not think that's critical, but I've seen over and over that part of what creates apprehension is that something is different and there is something psychosocially different about presenting in a different space. Maybe you're in a cubicle or you're in a small office or, or you're listening on your earbuds or you know what I mean? So we can, you can get really deep about the things to become conscious about to master the environment 
I mean, that's not where I'd start, but that's how literally how deep we can get. Sure. Well, there's a couple of things that you just said that I think are maybe news to some people, right? Number one is you said very early on about making eye contact with your audience. And I think the number one mistake, you know where I'm going with this, that people make is they make eye contact with the picture of their audience right. in the corner of the screen, which is not where their audience's eyes are. Right? right. That little picture can't see you. Their eyes are straight ahead looking into the camera. But that notion of making eye contact with the camera is literally not natural. Right. And another thing that's, that is maybe too natural would be this. If you're standing in front of a room and you were, had your back to the audience and you stared at your PowerPoint slides, let alone read them, people would think you sucked, right? And yet, what, what do we do when we move online? Now they're right in front of our face and we have more propensity to want to read things literally or use my PowerPoint as a teleprompter and... That's not natural, right? I mean, maybe it's almost too natural to just glance at my PowerPoint slides because they're right in front of my face, but that's not where and how you would make connection. Think more like a TV person. You want to make eye contact with the camera. Now, even great TV hosts don't always, in fact, a lot of one of the trends in the last couple of decades relative to how TV used to be, used to be a lot uh is not necessarily making 100% eye contact with the camera, right? We know the teleprompter, look at the teleprompter and that way it looks like I'm always making eye contact with the camera. And you can do those kinds of things virtually. And there's a number of contraptions that will help you try to figure out teleprompting while making eye contact with your, with your computer camera. But most, most of the time authenticity wins. That is so important. I, I, can't tell you how often I've said to people, you know, we do certain things when we're presenting online because we don't want to make a mistake. We don't engage the audience and ask questions because we want to get through all our material. And, you know, we don't. That's an amateur mistake offline too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> But there are there Grandpa just, used to call that trying to squeeze fifty pounds of spuds into a five pound sack. Your grandpa used a much nicer noun than mine did. Uh, but yes, that's exactly, exactly what it is. Um, but those kinds of things we do for our convenience as the presenter. Like we read our slides because we don't want to forget anything. We don't want to leave right. out a point. And I always tell people, we, your audience will forgive imperfection. They will not forgive having their time wasted. Oh, bingo. <laughs> so what you call off- Five extra po bonus points for Termel. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes, right. Lying squirrels, acorns, you know, you know how that works. Um, we could do this all day and have. Uh, but here's the thing. The, the muscle memory involved in using tools, and I don't care what it is, Zoom, right. WebEx, whatever the tool is, Games, yeah, is exactly. really not that important. They all do 90% of the same thing. Um, but there's a muscle memory involved. And as a result, we tend to not use all of the tools because we don't know them or we're not used to them or don't want to get thrown off. What are the three features? Because 80% of people use 20% of the features. Right. Is kind of the rule. 
what are the three features of that most platforms have, right? They're kind of universal. That yeah. would make a huge difference to how people present. Let me put an exclamation point behind something you just said, and we'll do. And I already told you my first feature, so we'll get to the next couple. But exclamation point. When, when it's not, you use the term muscle memory, right? That autonomic thing, it's like swinging a golf club. When you're thinking about it, it sucks. So you just have to do it enough so that it's not, you don't have to think, where do I find the mute button? And, and actually scientifically, when we experience some level of apprehension, right? Our, our adrenaline increases, our breathing gets more shallow and our voice doesn't sound as awesome and a bunch of other things. And we, oh, and we forget things that we thought we knew cold. So that your point about muscle memory is dead on. It's not hard. It's just, and it only takes half a dozen times, right? It's not hard. It's just different. You just got to do it a few times, particularly if you're working with a great coach like Wayne Termel, who's going to, who's going to know what to walk you through and how to, to, to maximize the efficiency of those repetitions. So I mentioned the idea of chat just to open it up. The second one that I think is overlooked is almost not a feature. (laughs) It's a, it's a behavior, which would be the ability or willingness to stop sharing your desktop. So even if you're just going to do a webinar and you're going to present PowerPoint and it's just going to roll every once in a while, if you stopped presenting PowerPoint, even if you weren't going to show anything else, you stop presenting PowerPoint because maybe you're going to take a moment just to check out the chat or something and answer a question. When you stop on every one of these platforms, if you just stop sharing, something happens for the audience that moves their player around, right? The, the, where the location of the video reconfigures or whatever. So just the act of stopping sharing and restarting your sharing of terms of you pushing your PowerPoint creates a psychological trigger on the other end of the, uh, on the other end. Right. So and then I'll extend that to the ability to turn on or off anything. For instance, if you truly aren't going to take questions, turn off the raise hand feature as opposed to let Wayne in the front row raise his hand and sit there for 30 minutes wondering if you actually saw him. Right. I know you've probably experienced what I have. Right. I'm presenting to a larger audience and somebody submits a question and and then they go, hey, did you see my question? Because they don't realize they're sitting there with 800 other people. Right. So the same would happen with turning on or off a raise hand feature or something like that. If there was a third feature that I might, um, that I would say is critical, at least to the way that I do things, it's parallel to the chat box, which is simply the ability for you to see names and call on people by name. Now in most participant list is your friend, right? Now, most of the cases, that's enough integrated with chatter questions so that you can go, oh, Wayne makes a great comment. But whether it's the tool or the skill, something, I mean, your first grade teacher knew that one of her best tactics was to call on Wayne by name, as opposed to, hey, you troubled kid in the back row. <laughs> right? So, and and if even if you're talking to 800 people, if I say, oh, Julie asks... Personally, I only use 
first names unless I know it's cool to do something else. And personally, I also go Pradeep. Pradeep, did I get your name right? I'm just not going to be shy. Did I get your name right? And sometimes I mispronounce it and they'll type the phonetics into the chat and you just made a friend because you asked them how their name was pronounced. But that, to your point, participant list or the ability to call on a name is like using a name tag when you're sitting in front of somebody or in, in an in-person sense. And there is a tool plus skill that dramatically transforms attention because if I call on Julie or Pradeep, even if I didn't call out Wayne's name, Wayne knows that I'm connecting with real people in real time. And Wayne might be next. And so he better pay attention. Right. Oh, and well, let's talk about that as a Q&A tactic. You're, you, maybe you get to get to end and you're doing Q&A at the end and you go, all right, uh, Julie, great question. Wayne, I see your question. You're next. Something that cues up, oh, Wayne, I'm next. You're right. So people are people are paying attention. So anyway, there's a thousand of those. I, I love, and I'm not going to try to add the 37 things that came You're to correct. mind, but the, <laughs> the notion of changing the view is really important because people are a little like raccoons. Color, light, and motion gets our attention. So when something changes, even if I'm not really paying attention, all of a sudden I reconnect. And the same is true for audio. One of the reasons for taking questions as you go is anytime there's a new speaker, our brains automatically reconnect. Yes, and sir. so I, I love this. Roger, we could geek out. I mean, we Can I add one more? Yeah, as long as we're talking about maybe unconventional ways to use tools, I love I love combining polls and chat when I ask questions. Polling gives you quantitative data, right? I know that 37% chose A and 27% chose B. But I love to use it like a like a Likert scale where the all of the above or open-ended option is okay, I give you A, B, C, and D, and then on E, I write other parentheses add yours to the chat and it gives you a chance to connect those long tail right i mean if you're asking a question you know 80 percent of the people are going to choose a b c or but now somebody can give you their corner case piece and they type something into chat and it gives you something to uh, a chance to respond going oh that's an interesting that's an interesting answer kyle said e and here's what he said is a way to combine the quantitative and the qualitative and it's it's a it's a really powerful way to think about polling Love it. We could both geek out on this. We have both literally written the book or written a book on this. And, you know, look up Roger Corville on Amazon. You will find all kinds of good stuff. You'll find what I've done in the field. Um, Roger, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate your wisdom, your tips. This is really good stuff. For those of you listening, we will have in the show notes Roger's LinkedIn and his website at virtual venues and all of that good stuff. You will find those at longdistanceworklife.com. That's where we have the show notes for each episode. You can reach out to Marissa and I anytime. Marissa Eikenberry is on LinkedIn. Marissa at kevineikenberry.com. Wayne at kevineikenberry.com. Uh, if you have not yet, please feel free to pick up Kevin and my new book, The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. We are so glad that you join us. We'll be back next week with a Marissa episode. 
And uh, thank you so much. Don't let the weasels keep get you down and we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much.